Well, as we uh, talk about loving and caring for the vulnerable and, and just generosity through that process, one of the things that I love about our church is that this Christmas offering, as generous as it will be and as much as it will make a difference, it's not like a one-off thing that doesn't happen throughout the rest of the year. You all give generously on a regular basis, and that supports not just the ministry here, but the ministry that happens uh, far beyond these walls. Um, and whenever we have special projects, and we've had a lot of them this year because there's been so much need in our community and beyond, you all step up in some big ways. And so uh, one of the ministries we've been partnered with is a ministry in Juarez, Mexico called Missions Ministries. And every year, what we like to do is send teams down there in March and in October to do home builds, to open up a clinic. Uh, we do all sorts of great ministry and partnership with them. Uh, actually, our group that went in March was one of the last groups that they were able to accept because the pandemic hit and the border closed and lots of stuff happened and they just have not been able to really have teams down there, but they still have staff that can do some of the projects if they have the resources to do it. So they actually reached out to us and said, hey, would there be a way for redemption, even though you can't send a team this fall, could you uh, provide some resources so that we could still do a build this fall? And we said yes. And so many of you that have been on those trips heard about that and you gave, and then we were able to just support this out of other money that has uh, just been given to our church uh, over this year. And so uh, we were able to, here's some pictures, we got some pictures back from them of this family that just received a brand new home uh, because of your generosity. And so thank you for that. You can see um, them getting the keys. That's actually their pastor that's giving them that key. Missions Ministries does everything in partnership with local churches there. And then uh, just kind of, if you see these pictures kind of inside the house, uh, you can just sort of see uh, that this really is an opportunity for it to become a home. Many of these families in this community live um, in homes that are built by just whatever they can kind of assemble together. And so to have a, a place, have a soft and a comfortable bed, have a roof over your head, it's just a really uh, sweet opportunity. So, so thank you for your generosity. And the other reason I wanted to share that is because any of you who've ever been on one of those trips, you all come back and you say the same thing. Here's what you say. You say, those people don't have anything, but they have so much joy. And that really leads us into this message today, because we're in this Advent series that we're calling Joy to the World. <laughs> joy to the World? How could you possibly have joy to the world in a world like this, in a world that's so broken, in a, joy that, in a, in a world that's so discouraging, in a world that has so many problems? How could you have joy? And yet people in Juarez seem to have joy, these followers of Jesus down there, and so much hardship. And so we realize this is possible. Christians often want to make a huge distinction between happiness and joy, but we see there's actually quite a bit of overlap between happiness and joy. But what we want to talk about today in particular is that part of that overlapping diagram of happiness and joy where, it, where we believe we, there are times where we can be joyful but not happy. There's plenty of times when you're happy but not all that deeply joyful, but we do believe while happiness and joy often overlap, there are times especially for followers of Jesus, where we don't feel particularly happy. Things are not going particularly well, and yet we still have joy. That's what we want to talk about and look at today as we just explore what it looks like to have joy in a broken world. So here's the question to get us kind of thinking today, is what kind of a year was 2020? What kind of a year was 2020? How was your 2020. So here's what I want you to do. I just, just where, you're, where you're at sitting here in the room, where you're at watching online, I want you to just pick a number between one and 10. 
How was 2020? Pick a number between, yeah, one is bad. 10 is the best ever, right? One in 10, what kind of a year was 2020? All right, so some of you are like, I need more time. Okay, well, I'm not giving it to you. So, so just the first thing you come up with, all right? So here's, here's what I want to see, kind of show of hands and play along online, even though we can't see your hands, but, but play along with this. Um, if your number was between seven and 10, seven to 10, raise your hand, okay? So I don't know if everyone can see, you know, that's a decent number of hands, not a ton, but, but decent. All right, if your number was more like four to six, raise your hand, okay, that's a lot feels like that's probably going to be a majority of the room. If your number was one to three, raise your hand. Okay, a few honest people. Um, not quite as many, but, but uh, yeah. So, so the thing that's so interesting, I mean, I would love to sit down with each of you and sit down with each of you at home and just go like, hey, how do, what, what's this year been like? But, but the thing I'd really want to know if we could have that conversation is what criteria did you use to come up with your number? What metric? What gauge? How did you, right, you, you, you counted something. How did you get to the number you got to? Right, we all evaluate things different ways. Maybe you evaluated it based on the goals that you had coming into the year. Maybe you made some New Year's resolutions and you did those really well and so you're like, hey, that, that was awesome, right? Because you counted all joy when you fulfill your resolutions. Uh, my guess is uh, none of you did that, but, um, but perhaps, you know, perhaps you did. But by the way, I was just, I was uh, reading this list of the most common resolutions, and uh, it was like, work out more, lose weight, uh, exercise more, read more, invest in family. You know what was like the third or fourth one on the list of like the most common resolutions? What, I, this just shocked me. It was, eat more of the foods I like to eat. I was like, who has to resolve to do that? Like, I, I don't know these people. Who are these people? But maybe you had a year where you ate all the stuff you wanted to eat. So and it was just a great year for you. I don't know. Maybe that's the criteria you use. Maybe you use a criteria of family. You count it all joy if our family isn't trying to kill each other. Maybe you use a criteria of career. You count it all joy if you're advancing or if things look promising or if your industry is doing okay because you work for Zoom or whatever the case might be. Maybe it'd be money. You count it all joy if you make more money this year than last year, right? And so if you make more money, this was a good year. Your number's pretty high. Maybe it's politics. You count it all joy if your, your candidate, I almost said contestant, that's how it feels. If, you're, if your candidate won. Or culture. You can count it all joy if society's really improving. It's gonna lead you to a low number, folks. It ain't going in a good direction. Maybe relationships. You count it all joy if you feel close to people. Or maybe your situation. You just, it was a good year if you feel good. Things went pretty well. See, the thing is, I think a lot of us, and I think a lot of people out there, would say that 2020 is like the worst year ever. My question today is, could it be possible for 2020 to transform from the worst year ever to the best? What if that was possible? Not by just pretending it was fun in a delusional kind of way. 
Not by like playing opposite day, right? Do your kids ever do this? Hey, it's opposite day. So today, this was the worst year ever, which means it was the best year. And you just want to like slap your kid upside the head and be like, what's wrong with you? It's not opposite day. It's just a real day, right? Shut up, right? That's what you want to say. But you don't say shut up to your kids, right? Um, anyway, what if 2020 was not the worst year, but the best year? Now we do a podcast um, connected to our church called For Jesus, based off of all of life is all for Jesus. And uh, I was interviewed for that recently, and one of the things I mentioned in that interview is that oftentimes when I'm preaching, I feel like I'm preaching to me. That I'm like the end user of this sermon. I'm not coming kind of from on high as someone who's just totally figured it out and bringing it down the mountain to all you struggling people. But I'm a user. And this message is especially true for that. I don't know how deeply I believe what I'm going to preach today, if I'm really honest. Now, now, now get this. I, I know it's true. I don't mean that kind of belief. I mean the kind of functional belief in my heart that actually leans into this easily. It's pretty weak. Maybe you're in the same place. And so let's, let's pray for each other. Let's dive in. Father, we need your help. Help us to believe what's true. Speak to us by your word. Help us to apply it and to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the big idea from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It's this. To find joy in trials, that's really what we're talking about, we need a new calculation for a new reason in pursuit of a new vision. We need a new calculation for a new reason in pursuit of a new vision. Verse 2 gives us this new calculation. You're going to want a copy of the Bible in front of you as you follow along here. Uh, Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, that word count it is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a tip. This is not a, hey, your life might go better if. This is a command. You are expected as a follower of Jesus to do this, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This word count it means to consider, to regard, to think about, to reckon, to calculate. This is not a feelings word. This is a thinking word. Now, most of us live out of our feelings, we live out of our reactions, we live out of our gut, we live out of our instincts. What James, who's the brother of Jesus and the author of this book, is saying is he's saying you need to think a certain way. You need to adopt a certain mindset. If any of you are sports fans, there's a phrase that probably drives you crazy, which is the idea that a team could lose, and sometimes they'll say, oh, it's okay, it was a good loss. It was a good loss. Well, if you're a fan, there is no such thing as a good loss, right? Like I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I want them to be 16 and 0 every year, right? There are no good losses. But if you're a coach and your goal is not necessarily to win every game, your goal is to win the last game and to see your team get better throughout the course of the season so that you will make the playoffs and win the championship. If you're a coach, there actually is such thing as a good loss. Because you're going, you know what? This woke us up. This helped us see. This was an area we needed to improve. This was a weakness in our system. This was something we needed to get stronger at. What James is saying is, your feelings are going to tell you this is, that there's no such thing as a good loss. I want you to actually think of it like a coach. 
You're not a fan, you're a coach. Coach yourself into realizing that it is to be pure joy when you meet trials of various kinds. That's what it says in verse 2, count it all joy. That word all could also be translated as pure, untainted, pure joy. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to love um, drinking Tropicana orange juice. Any of you know Tropicana orange juice? And I don't know what the, the logo of it is now, but the logo of Tropicana, at least when I was a kid, was like the best logo I've ever seen. Because what it was, was it was an orange with a straw in it. And I would just sit there and drink my Tropicana orange juice and look at the logo on the box and be like, that's what this tastes like. Right? It tastes like if you just jammed a straw right in there, right? And out comes this pure, good, delicious, pulpy, like I like mega pulp orange juice. Like I want orange juice I have to chew. Like that's, <laughs> that's how much I like that, just pure, pure orange juice. And, and that's, that's what he's saying. It's like if, if, if there's a bucket of joy, stick the straw right in it. Count it, consider it, calculate it, think about it this way, not as a feeling, but as an act of your will that you are going to think that it's pure joy, 100%, not three quarters, 100% joy. My brothers, that's interesting. So this is a command for Christians. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I guess you're off the hook here. You'd have a hard time actually doing what he says anyway, because really the power to do this comes from being in Christ. But this is a command for Christians. This is possible for Christians. We need one another in this process. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Don't you wish it said if? Like, don't you wish it was like, hey, you may or may not face trials. But if you do, here's what to do. But that's not what it says. It says when. It's a certainty. This is going to happen. Jesus was the one who said, in this world you will have trouble. When you meet trials. That word meet has with the idea that you don't plan for this. You just fall into it. It just happens, right? And isn't that how 2020 has sort of felt, right? Who planned what 2020 has felt like? Answer, nobody. No, no one knew what this was going to feel like. No one knew what this was going to be like. We just ran into it, right? And this word of you meet various trials is actually used also in Acts 27, verse 41, to describe a boat that was striking a reef, that met a reef, right? They, they're, they're going along, and they don't see it. They didn't see it coming, and wham, they met a reef. They struck a reef. You're going along in your life, and wham, you meet various Trials, trials of various kinds. This word various, it means diversified. Here's what it literally means. It means multicolored. It's the word used to describe Joseph's multicolored coat. It's a a kaleidoscope of color. It's a rainbow of color. Here's what he's saying. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of all shapes and sizes. Notice, he doesn't say count it pure joy when you meet small trials, because those are easy to consider as joy. He doesn't say when you meet big trials. He says when you meet every kind of trial, big, small, long, short, deep, shallow, 
All of it. Why? Because what he knows is that we would have this tendency to kind of go, well, that probably doesn't apply to me, or that's probably not. Is there this thing when we experience hardship where we always want to compare it to somebody? Like we have this thing going on, it's like, well, but it's not as bad as what they've got. Or we're talking with somebody, and they try to compare it, and we're like, well, our thing's way worse than their thing. There's no trial too small, there's no trial too big for which we as followers of Jesus are not to reckon, calculate, consider it joy. One of my favorite preachers to listen to is a guy named Charlie Dates. Uh, I actually graduated with him from the University of Illinois, speech communication department, same year, but I don't know him. I wish I did. He's a phenomenal preacher, just preaches the paint off the walls. He's great. Here's what he says. He says, God has a corresponding joy for every trial we find ourselves in. This joy that we have, the world did not give it to us, and the world cannot take it away. Circumstances did not give us this joy, so circumstances cannot take it away. God has a joy that defies our trials. That's the perspective we're to have as followers of Jesus. Now get this, that doesn't mean the trial wasn't real, and it doesn't mean that it wasn't painful. This isn't where we're just supposed to sort of put a silver lining on every cloud and and kind of walk around minimizing the pain. No, this is saying it was really hard, it was really difficult, and it's really important that you think about it with a new calculation. A new calculation for a new reason. Verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible almost never just gives you a command without also giving you a reason to obey the command, right? We, we shouldn't need a reason, right? If God says to do something, we should just do it. But, we, but God, God's gracious. He gives us reasons. So why would we have this whole new calculation? Well, for a new reason. For, verse 3, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, this phrase, the testing of your faith, is used in 1 Peter to describe the tested genuineness of your faith. It has with it the idea, not that there's this test that's looking for a way for you to fail, but that it's actually a test to prove the validity of what you have. So he's saying this testing that proves the validity of your faith, it proves the genuineness of your faith, that is what produces steadfastness. Uh, Any of you ever heard of the Panasonic Tough Book? It's a laptop computer that uh, I don't know where they intended for it to be used, like in construction sites or trench warfare (laughs) or in the case of nuclear attack, I don't know, but, but it is like this indestructible laptop. And I went on YouTube and I found these videos of them testing the laptop, right? They're running it over with an F-250 and they're dragging it behind and they're lighting it on fire and they're pouring water on it and they're doing just all these insane things. And every time at the end of each little experiment, they press a button and up comes Panasonic. And you're like, holy smokes, that thing, it's indestructible, right? And I just imagine that if you worked for Panasonic, you would be like, yep, I worked on that. Go ahead, do anything you want to it. One commentator said, trials are God's vote of confidence in us. Trials are God saying, have you considered my servant Job? 
There's no one with faith like him. Have you considered my servant? Your name? They'll get through it. Their faith's real. They might get a little wobbly. They might have questions. They might not fully understand it. But if you test their faith, God's saying, it's real. And this testing of your faith, he says, verse 3, produces steadfastness. In other words, something comes from that pain. And what comes from it is steadfastness. This word steadfastness means endurance, resilience, fortitude. It endures. It's strong. It keeps going. I love this definition I heard of endurance, that endurance is faith stretched out. When you endure, you have faith that stretches out over a long period of time. It's not a moment of faith. It's not getting caught up in the emotion of something, but it's having a, a faith that stretches out. And that comes from our faith being tested. It's produced by that. Right? This is why some women decide to have a second child. Because... That pain produces something beautiful. The pain is no joke. But, but you keep doing it. And having more children. Because something beautiful comes. That, that's what he's saying. This pain's real. The loss is real. The grief is real. The suffering's real. But it's creating something new. These muscles are building, these muscles of endurance, these muscles of steadfastness, right? And that's how muscles build over time, right? Like some of you, what you might decide to do in the new year is the, download the Couch to 5K app. It's a great little app. If you go, you know what, I'm kind of a couch potato, but I'd love to run a 5K, it'll take you through this process where you could kind of develop the endurance, develop the steadfastness in your legs and in your lungs to be able to run a 5K in a couple months. Right? And so you would start with kind of these short walks, and then they'd get a little longer, and then you'd start doing a little bit of running, and then you'd run a little longer and a little longer, and you build these endurance. Right? That's what happens when we're tested, when we're stretched, when we're pushed. Well, why would we pursue this new reason of steadfastness? Well, it's in pursuit of a new vision. We make a new calculation to count it all joy, for a new reason, it produces steadfastness in pursuit of a new vision. Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the, the world's vision, it's short term and it's horizontal only. Right? So I count it all joy if right now I feel pretty good. And if the things I can see are like, okay. And a lot of us, don't we get sucked into that? And yet as followers of Jesus, our, our vision is not to be short-term and horizontal only. It's to be long-term because eternity has been put into the hearts of men by a creator God who reigns over everything. And we will give an account to him and we will live forever somewhere. And so we don't live for this little dot called our 80, if we're lucky, years on earth. We live for the line of eternity that goes forever. And our vision is not just horizontal, but it's vertical too. It's 360 because all of life is all in God's world. 
and he's making all things new. And so if we're going to live forever and we're going to stand before the Lord, then what we want more than anything, isn't it, is to stand before the Lord complete and mature and whole, to look like Jesus. And that's what he says is going to happen. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, this is, I don't know why the translators do it this way. Um, I'm not enough of a Greek scholar to understand that. But in verse 4, the word full and the word perfect are the same Greek word. I wish they just translated it the same way, (laughs) right? Because you could say it this way. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be full and complete. Or let steadfastness have its perfect effect, that you may be perfect and complete. This is saying there's a kind of growth that has to happen of steadfastness. That steadfastness, when it kind of grows fully, when the yeast is worked fully through the dough, when it's fully permeated, what it results in is you being whole, you being complete, you being mature. And this only happens if we have steadfastness, if we have endurance, right? Because if we just blow over at the first windstorm, we don't stay strong, right? Which is stronger, the tree that endures one night of a windstorm or the tree that endures a hurricane and stays standing? And so the steadfastness has its full effect that we might be full, that we might be complete, lacking, it says, in nothing. Here's what I've observed Whole people are the happiest people. People that are whole, they've been made whole by Jesus. They've pursued healing of relationships in Jesus. They've brought all of their brokenness and all of their loss and all of their sadness and they've walked through it with Jesus, usually in the company of friends. And it takes time and it takes a lot of bumps, but they end up whole and they're sweet. They age like fine wine, not like raisins. Do you want to age like fine wine? Then count it all joy when you face trials. Do you want to age like a raisin? Then count it all your unmet expectations when you face trials. The happiest people are whole people. So how do you get mature in the faith? James 1 provides a really sobering answer. Because here's the thing. If you said, okay, 2021, I want to make a New Year's resolution. I want to mature in Christ. I want to grow in Christ. I want to become more whole in Christ. And I'd go, okay, awesome goal. How are you going to do it? You'd probably say, well, here's these books I'm going to read. Here's these classes I'm going to do, these online classes I'm going to take. Um, here's, uh, here's these friends that I'm going to kind of spend time with. But, but how does maturity come? You don't read your way into maturity. You don't learn your way into maturity. You endure your way into maturity. Now get this, the books will help. And the Bible will really help. And the counseling and the classes and the community, all of that stuff will help. Here's why it will help. Because it will help you endure. 
but by themselves, those don't do anything other than help you endure. And it's the enduring that leads to the growth. It's the enduring that leads to the maturity. It's the enduring that leads to that resilient strength that we want. Now, here's the thing. This makes zero sense without the gospel of Jesus. To count it joy when you face multicolored trials? Are we crazy? Like at best, we might just be kind of a stoic who says, you know what, just white knuckle through it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not what he's saying. He's saying do a whole new calculation where you're actually rejoicing in and thanking God for the trial you faced. That's nuts without the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what we're told in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. That's the same word in James 1, steadfastness. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, verse two confuses me, if I'm real honest. I don't have time to go into all of this, but it confuses me, because I also read, it says, for the joy set before him. I mean, you just kind of get this picture of Jesus going, oh, I can't wait to go to the cross. And yet I have the rest of the Bible where it talks about Jesus anxious and heavy-hearted to the point of sweating drops of blood. He was under so much stress that the capillaries in his forehead began to burst and mingle with his sweat. And it was like he was sweating blood. And he's there and he's praying, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. But then what does he do? He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. That is not something you come up with out of feelings. That is an act of the will. That is Jesus counting it all joy. Saying, Father, if I have your will, if I have you, I have enough. And I'll be okay. So, We're on the cusp of 2021. What if I came to you and said, hey, I got good news and bad news. I'm a bad news first guy, so here's the bad news. 2021 is going to feel a lot like 2020. I kind of think it is. I hope I'm wrong. But what if it is? What if the great turning of the calendar to January 1 really doesn't change anything? But what if the good news is that by enduring it with joy, you would end up more like Jesus? Because here's the thing, if we all said, hey, at the end of 2021, I want to be more like Jesus, okay, (laughs) then count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Don't you wish there was another way? There's not. 
so we need to build these muscles now. And so I want to invite you to do a homework assignment that I'm assigning to myself as well for this week. Is uh, This week I'm going to make a list of the various trials. Everything from no toilet paper at Costco to, right, it's multicolored, right? All the, all the trials. And I'm going to make a list and I'm going to walk through it and I'm going to just pray, God, I thank you for blank. God, I thank you for blank. And I, I may have to do it a bunch of times. Maybe you do too. But what we want more than anything is to be like Jesus, isn't it? This is how it happens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness that supports us in the midst of our trials and pain. And God, we kind of wish there was an easier way. We wish there was a different way. We wish there was a simpler way to grow in maturity. And yet you promise, Lord, to be with us to the end of the age, in every moment, that you're especially close to the brokenhearted. You especially save those who are crushed in spirit. And so, God, we come to you and we ask you to give us faith to be able to calculate things, to count them, to consider them to be pure joy when we face these trials. Give us your strength, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.